right, well, hey, welcome to everybody that is tuning in online. We're so glad that you're here. We're continuing the series Therapy, where every single week we are going through a new session, if you will, for therapy sessions and covering some key issues related to mental health, uh, which is an issue facing our world right now as much as it ever has before. And really, it was an issue even before COVID, and, uh, and COVID-19 has certainly not made things any better. So we are covering for the next handful of weeks what it looks like biblically and what God has to say about mental health. We're spending the first few weeks on anxiety. It's just too big of a topic, too big of an issue uh, to do all in one week. So this is the third week as we walk through covering uh, therapy and therapy session and third session as it relates to anxiety. Let me start with a story that will give us some handholds for where we're going. About 11 years ago, I moved to Dallas and I came on staff at Watermark and I moved into the back house of a family that were Watermark members and they basically said, hey, we have a place that you can stay and live and it's like free rent, I'm always down with that. And, uh, and I was single and so I moved into their back house. I got here in June, but I wasn't starting work until August and I had about a month where I was kind of looking for anything that could be a side job or something to uh, make some money on the side and I had a relationship with a manager at a restaurant. So I reached out, said, hey, I don't know if you guys are hiring. I only have about a month, but would love to work there or looking for something to do for work. And he said, sure, we'll hire you. Got hired to be a waiter for a month. Now, I'd never been a waiter before and had never really stepped into all the challenges that come with waiting. If you have, it's not as easy often as they make it look. You're juggling tables, you're juggling all these different orders. And on top of that, there was always the challenge or the challenge that I never mastered of carrying drinks on a tray. It looks incredibly easy when they're walking, holding like 12 drinks on a tray. Don't be deceived, it's actually incredibly challenging because you've got to have you know, all the right calculations with your hand and uh, gravity is at work. And if you're handing off drinks, uh, you've got to compensate to make sure that they don't. But anyways, I, because I never mastered that, during that month, I just decided I'm not ever going to get this down, so I'm just going to carry them straight on a tray. So it looked like when I would deliver drinks to a table that I was waiting on, I was just walking through the lunch line, you know, holding my tray, and then it set it on the table and then hand out all the drinks. That is to say, I did that every time, except for the first time and first table that I waited. I'd gone through the training. I wasn't a trainee anymore where I was, you know, formerly the guy that you're just walking around kind of shadowing some other waiter. You probably have seen this before when you go out to eat and it's like, hey, take your order and this is Bob. He's going to stand awkwardly close to me and, you know, learn how to do this. I had gone through that, was no longer a trainee. Got my first table. I go to the table. It's a bunch of men that I see. Oh, that's going to be my first table. And not just any men. These are young dudes, all ripped up, wearing tall tees, tatted up. Just didn't look like a group of guys I didn't want to get in a scuffle with. So anyways, I go up to the table, begin to take their order, get all of their drink orders. And I go back, pick up, you know, the lunch tray. And I decided, I think I got this. I'm going to give it a go and try to hold it like a normal waiter. So I take their drinks, I carry it up to the table. So far, so good. And I begin to pass out to these eight men their drinks. And as I take the first drink off of the tray, I was reminded or I became aware that gravity definitely plays an issue in this whole thing. And because I took it off of the tray and began to hand it down, I lost control where it, you know, there was once weight on the tray, if you will, and it lost control of it. And all of the drinks came crashing down immediately on 
to the table. I mean, every single drink that was there, they just crashed immediately on the table. And there was one guy in particular who's wearing an all white tall tea that I might as well have just taken a raspberry iced tea and poured it right on his head. Cause that's essentially what happened. He stands up, he's got raspberry iced tea all over his white shirt, begins yelling at the manager, yelling at me, yelling at what could have possibly happened saying, this better be a free meal. And the manager, or he's just going, you know, berserk. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy is gonna kill me for sure. This is not a guy I wanna get in a fight with. Manager comes up, says, hey, just, we'll take care it, go to the back, I go to the back. They end up sending somebody else to the table. They comp his meal. I'm sitting in the back thinking I'm going to get fired and I'm going to get killed in the parking lot. And it's just not going how I wanted it to go. Just panicked, heart racing. And somebody comes up to me and says, Hey, your parents are here. And I'm sitting in the back, just kind of waiting to hear what's going to happen. And my parents are here. And I think, what? My parents have been divorced for like 20 years at this point. So I'm like, my parents are here. They're, you know, they're back. They're having a meal together and they're in Dallas. You know, they're living in Houston. That's just bizarre. And I'm like, it can't be my parents. They're like, yeah, I think they're your parents. She points to them and I realize it's the mom and dad or the couple from that back house I had just moved into three days before. And I go up to them and they're like, yeah, we came to see you. It's your first night. How's it going? And I bend down and I'm squatting right next to them. And I begin to explain not going good. And, uh, <laughs> and I begin to go into, I uh, have my first table over there. I decked a guy with a raspberry iced tea. I think I'm going to lose my life, probably my job. And I'm beginning to like talk with him. And I'm just kind of like, you know, that moment where your heart is racing and you're like, I don't know what I feel right now. And, uh, and I'm talking to them. And as I'm bent over, just kind of squat with one arm around each of them, very intimately, this couple that I had just recently met, somebody comes over and taps my shoulder on staff and is like, hey, the manager wants to see you in the back. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it. It's over for me. And I did something next that I, I to this day, have never done anything like it, especially with someone that I barely knew. And it was, it, here's what I did. Basically, I was like, all right, I got to go. And I hugged the dad and I hugged the mom and I leaned over and I kissed her. <laughs> and it was like, as I got up and began to walk away, I realized what? I just kissed this woman. I barely even know. And I all of a sudden was like, what just happened? Uh, to this day, what's probably funnier is like, I love this family, know them really well. And I don't think we've ever talked about it since that moment happened. And um, it just was one of those moments where in the pressure and the chaos and everything that's happening, I can't believe that all just happened. Uh, you know, we, I just acted out in a way that I'm like, what, what did I just even do? Now, what does that have to do with anxiety? I think a lot of times in life, you know, life is a picture of the chaos in that moment. And the stress in that moment, the pressure that people feel. And in that pressure, we often do things that we're like, what did I just do? Why did I say that? Why did I react that way? Oftentimes, maybe we're feeling stress and anxiety and it leads us to, to turn to anything that will give us relief because of that pressure. We're trying to find any sense of calm in the midst of the chaos around us. So we turn to, to different substances or different codependent relationships. People turn to pornography People turn to alcohol. We just turn to anything that can kind of like steady, bring some sense of calm. The problem is a lot of the solutions we turn to are not helpful. They don't bring more calm into our life. At best, they're a band-aid. And oftentimes they bring even more problems, more addictions, more challenges. But God wants us to experience a life on this earth that is chaotic as it can seem, is marked by peace, not by anxiety, is marked by calm, not by chaos. So we're journeying through these few weeks and covering anxiety. And tonight I wanna look at another principle 
and practical thing that God says in the midst of the chaos of life, in the midst of stress, in the midst of anxiety, here's what I want you to do. We're gonna specifically be in Philippians chapter four. If you have a Bible, you can flip open there. And we're gonna read some verses that if you grew up in church, you may be familiar with, which is honestly not a thing that could be working in your advantage, if you will. Because you've read these verses before and you're like, oh yeah, I've heard it. It doesn't really apply. It doesn't really help. I still have anxiety. And I would submit or suggest it could be something related to what Paul says or something about God that you don't know. You're not applying. And that's why you're experiencing chaos, not calm, panic, not peace. So we're going to walk through exactly what the Apostle Paul says. He starts in Philippians chapter four, verse six, as Paul launches into a conversation about anxiety and what Christians are to do. Here's what he says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, don't be anxious. Remember the biblical definition of being anxious is meditating or dwelling on fearful and anxious thoughts. It's not, hey, don't have an anxious thought. That's impossible. It is don't dwell or meditate on fearful, anxious thoughts. Don't spend your life meditating on those things. But instead, Paul says, pray. And he walks through a handful of other different things that are there. The first thing I want to talk about is communicating your fears to God. Paul says, when you're anxious, the first thing you should do is communicate your fears to God. It's like this. Uh, there's a uh, time in life whenever you get engaged or whenever you have a child, there's something that you'll get to experience which is an amazing part of being engaged or being pregnant and waiting to have a child. It's called the registry. What is the registry? It's your gift registry. Jesus said it is better to give than receive, but it's also pretty great to receive some too. And the gift registry is where you let the world, your family, your friends, all of them know, here are the gifts that me and my fiance would like you to get us. You choose the store, you choose the things that you want, and you, in the only time in your life, I think, where it is appropriate to make specific demands about the gifts that people are gonna give you and not come across as some entitled brat, this would be it. Because you can send it out and you're like, oh yeah, hey, don't worry about getting us something, but if you do, make sure it's one of these from this store. And, uh, and it's, you know, what you do. And so you, if you get engaged someday, you're going to go with that special someone, your fiance, and you're going to go to the store. And here's what I love, you know, about living in modern times is that they have added to this process, a laser gun to allow you to register for gifts. Maybe because they wanted the guy to be more engaged in the whole process. I don't exactly know, but you show up and they hand you a laser gun and you walk around bed, bath and beyond and you just shoot stuff. You're like, these are the cups we want. This is the comforter we want. This is the silverware. And this one's just for fun. And you just go around and you choose everything you want. And then you send it out to your friends. You say, hey, these are the things that we'd like to happen. Paul says, hey, when you're anxious, talk to God. Talk to God about the things that you want to happen. It's like, hey, bring your gift registry, bring your registry, bring your requests to God and let him know about those things. So the first thing we see in this text over and over is communicate your fears to God. Communicate what you're feeling, what you're facing in the midst of being anxious. Tell God what you're feeling. Now we read verses, or I read verses like this and I'm like, Paul, don't be anxious about anything, but pray. Are you just saying, pray? And how can you tell me to not be anxious? Do you know how stressful my life is? Do you know how much... I feel overwhelmed about the fact that this pandemic, it may not be going away for a while. I'm not exactly sure that 
I'm gonna have enough to make it through the rest of the year, that I'm gonna be able to continue affording rent once these you know, supplement surplus paychecks run out. And you're telling me, don't be anxious? Like, how can you even dare to say that? That's so invalidating. Paul's probably just sitting in some cabin writing this letter, you know, all relaxed, just uh, with not a care in the world, with some quill pen just in between his stream baths or showers that he takes. So he's totally removed from anything that's stressful in life. And it's not true. I mean, if anybody had a reason to be anxious, it's Paul. So when I say it's not true at all, if you think that, uh, how can Paul, he clearly doesn't know how stressful my life is. Paul had a life that is far more stressful than any of us have. If you could trade your problems with Paul's, you would not take that trade. Because what Paul was facing, even when he wrote these words, would have been incredibly anxiety provoking. He was sitting in a jail cell. He'd recently been arrested for sharing his faith, his Christian faith. And Paul was sentenced and he was, or he was sitting in a jail cell for spreading the message of Jesus, waiting to hear whether or not he would be executed. He eventually, after being arrested, would be executed. But right now he's just sitting in the jail cell. He's in his mid sixties. His eyesight is going bad. Jail cells at that time, we actually have writing about the jail cell that is believed to be the one Paul was in. And it was said it was dark. It smelled bad. It was underground. It was separated. Luckily, or you were lucky if you had like a candle, any ability to see. And in the midst of that darkness, the apostle Paul leans back against the wall, his body disheveled from tremendous hardship that he had faced in life. Like, I don't know if you know this, like Paul was beaten multiple times with this, it's called a 39 or a 39 lashes or a cat of nine tails. Basically it was this time they take these whips and they would rip and whip and whip people like Paul for spreading Christianity and it scarred and disfigured his back. He'd been beaten with multiple rods. He was stoned, like people picking up stones to the point and throwing them out of his body and uh, to the point where he was left for dead. He just had this incredibly hard, difficult, challenging life. His body's now breaking down as he's sitting in his 60s in a jail cell and he leans back against the wall. He feels the scars on his back from being whipped and he decides to write, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, here's what you should do. If anybody has the credibility to write those words, it would be Paul. That's what I mean by, hey, if I could trade problems with Paul, it wouldn't be like you know, a mortgage for sitting in a dark jail cell waiting to be executed. And yet this is the man who says, hey, don't, you're a Christian. Don't be anxious. Don't dwell on fearful thoughts. But here's what you should do. Communicate your fears to God communicate your fears to God. Go to him in prayer. Tell God what you're feeling. Ask him for help. And then he says, not just in prayer, but in supplication. Supplication is a word that means to ask God for help. You can look it up online or look it in a dictionary. Just the word that Paul uses is ask God for help. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but here's what you should do. Here's how you can trade panic for peace. And he walks through four things. The first one, communicate your fears to God. The second one, Ask God for help. Say, God, I'm afraid of being single. For the rest of my life, will you please help me to find a spouse this year? God, I'm anxious over whether or not I'm gonna get this job that I applied for. Will you please help me to not be anxious? And please help me to get the job. God, I'm anxious over my finances. Please, will you help me to be able to pay off the student loans that I have? God, I'm anxious over my dad's health. 
Will you please let the medicine to work? Will you please help me to not be anxious? Paul says, go to God, talk to God. So oftentimes as Christians, when we feel anxiety, it's like one of the last things we do is we turn to God in prayer. Like if I was sitting down with you and I can, I can say it after having sat down and been around so hundreds and hundreds of young adults for the past 10 years, in those moments of anxiety, when I ask the question, have, have you prayed about this? Are you often praying about this? The answer is like, no, but you know, if something is important enough to worry about, it's important enough to pray about. Amen. Go to God. And Paul says, talk to God. Prayer and supplication and let your requests, they're all like very similar language. And Paul says, go to God, go to God, go to God. Ask him for help. Tell him what you need. Tell him what you feel. Tell him what you're afraid of. And then ask him for help. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Peter says, bring everything that you care about to God because you are what God cares about. Anything that you care about, God cares about because he cares about you. Think about that. Like Peter, it's a wordplay. Your translation has cast all your cares on God because he cares for you. And Peter's saying, hey, you bring everything you care about to God. You tell him how you feel. Tell him what you're afraid of. Tell him what you're scared about. Talk to him. Bring all those cares because you are what God cares about. He says, I want you to, in those moments where you're anxious, if you want to step in the direction of peace, if you want to actually talk to someone who can do something about it, talk to God, Paul would say. Maybe the biggest takeaway that someone listening right now can have is just pray honest prayers. Like you would begin the habit of just telling God what you feel, not some spiritualized version of what you feel. Like so often, it's just weird. Christians do weird things where when we pray, they downshift into like this mode of talking that's just bizarre. They don't talk like that to their friends, but you see them pray and they're like, our father who in heaven uh, give us this, this dayeth and helpeth me to beeth your man. And it's like, that's weird. What are you doing? It's not more spiritual. It's just less genuine and bizarre. You could tell God what you want. You tell God what you're afraid of. God, I'm afraid that my mom's gonna die. I'm afraid I'm gonna die alone. I'm afraid that I'm gonna live my life and not have enough, I'm gonna be a failure. I'm afraid that I chose the wrong career. Talk to God about whatever it is. He loves you. You're what he cares about. Tell him what you care about. Tell him what you're afraid of. I've talked to young adults who literally have been like, I've heard this exact scenario where they're talking about their singleness and they're like, man, I'm just, I'm afraid I'm gonna be single for forever. But I feel like I can't tell that to God because if I do, then he'll be like, I need to keep you single until you're content and then you can have a spouse. So they end up being like, God, I'm content. I'm so content. I'm so content. I don't even really want a spouse, but I really do. And it's ridiculous. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows everything you're afraid of. He knows everything you want. You're not hiding maneuvering anything around in order to get him to do what you want. You can just say, God, I, I want a spouse. I need a job. Whatever they are, bring those things to God in prayer. My son is four years old and he um, will sometimes come into my room in the middle of the night. This actually happened last night. And he'll come in and, and he'll be like, like 3 a.m. He's like, daddy, Hey, there's monsters underneath my bed. And, um, and I try to resist saying, you know, oh man, yes, I put them there in order to keep you from getting out of bed. Uh, but really, I, I hear him 
Of course, I know there's not monsters, or he'll say, there's monsters in the closet. I pick him up, I take him back to his bed, and I, I go underneath, and I look, and I'm like, there's no monsters. Got them all out of here. Check in the closet. No monsters in there. We got a big dog, Crew. is his name. Crew is my son's name. Uh, we have a big dog. He wouldn't let any monsters in here. All the monsters are gone. And I leave there. And there's something about me, honestly, that, that kind of loves the fact that he will come do that. Wake me up and ask me to come get the monsters out or tell me I'm afraid of the monsters and can I get the monsters out? And it's not because I love being woken up at three in the morning by a three foot like silhouette of a small child like we're in Children of the Corn. Has anyone seen Children of the Corn? Man, what a creepy movie. Anyways, it's not because I love that experience. It's because I love the fact that he knows if I'm afraid, I can go to my dad. My father cares about me and my dad can get the monsters out. Like he knows that in that moment when I'm afraid, I'm gonna go to my dad. I'm gonna go to my daddy because he cares about me and he can get the monsters out. How heartbreaking would it be if I as a father saw him or knew or thought that he was sitting in his bed and he was terrified, but he was like, I can't go to my dad. My dad doesn't care about me. He doesn't care that there's monsters. And even if he did, he doesn't have what it takes to beat those monsters. It'd be heartbreaking. Yet so often, that's exactly what we do to God. Like, I can't bring these things to God. I can't bring, like they're too small, they're too insignificant. He doesn't really care about me. I can't go and just ask him to help me have, you know, a promotion at my job. I can't ask him to make the, the pandemic go away. I can't ask him to do whatever it is as though we think, or maybe Paul would say, I don't think you think God cares for you. Or maybe there's part of us that's like, oh no, he cares for me. I mean, he sent his son to die on the cross for me. The highest price he could pay, he paid it. Of course, God cares about me. I just don't think he can do anything about it or he would do anything about it. And yet that's exactly what we do to God. When we don't decide, hey, I'm gonna go to him. I'm bringing those things. He cares about me. He can do something about it. I'm bringing those to him. And God and Paul through God's word says, bring your request or bring, make those asks of God. Ask him for help and whatever you're facing. And then finally he says, the third way of expressing kind of go to God, go to God. Let your request be made known to God. I love the way that Paul wrote this verse in verse six of let them be known because it's passive voice. If you remember back to English class, when things would be in the active form and passive form or perfect tense form, this is in the passive form. In other words, it's not a direct command saying, hey, make your requests be known. It's passive. It's like, hey, let them be made known. It carries the idea that those anxieties, they want to lift up. They want to get out. When you feel them rising up inside of you, it says, man, let them out through talking to God about them. Let them be made known. Don't hold on to them. Don't bury them inside. It's, it's like this. Anxiety inside of all of our lives, about, you know, whatever type of anxiety that you feel. Paul says, man, let those things surface. Let them come out and let them surface. Most of the time, we walk through life and instead of letting those things out, we just bury them down. We act like they're not there. So we go through and, you know, if each one of these, this is almost how anxiety can work itself out in our life. Here's one. So we're anxious about different things inside of life. And it's like, man, I got my finances. I'm anxious about it. And I, I don't want to be 
poor. I want to make sure I have enough in retirement and I'm feeling all these different things inside of me and I don't know how I'm going to pay for rent. And Paul says, just let it out. And too often we just hold on to it and carry it around and we're like, no, I can't. And we try to bury it down deeper and deeper and deeper in our life. And then we have other anxieties that we walk through life and it's like, oh man, my parents divorce. And Paul says, man, if you're anxious about it, like let it, talk to God, let them out, let them rise. Talk to God in prayer. And too often we just walk through and we're like, man, I'm just going to hold it. I got this one from Corona and people come around and we continue to stuff them down even deeper in our lives. And we go through life. And instead of letting these things that just boil up on the inside, I'm like, man, I'm so anxious. I could possibly lose my job. I'm going to be single for forever. And Paul says, man, you, you're carrying around things you were never meant to carry. Let them rise out. And they begin to rise. We're just trying to hold on to them and walk through life. And we stuff them down deeper. And before they're, oh, David hits. And oh, no, financial prayer got away. And we just push them down and push them down. And Paul says, no, let them rise. Let them rise. Usually we walk through life and we pretend like they're not there. And they hit us, like they flood us in the morning. Like, here's what I know. You're human. So today you woke up and even right now you're feeling a flood of, of loneliness, fear, anxiety, all types of emotions. Some you can articulate, some that you can't. And you feel those things. And instead of expressing them or talking to God about them, you stuff them down and you act like they're not there. So you go from one day to the next and you go see your friends and people walk through life. And you're like, how you doing? And you're like, oh, I'm doing so great. Life is amazing. You know, it's cool. God's good. Not today, Satan. Blessed, hashtag blessed. And you hold on to them and you push them down and you push them down and you act like they're not there. And they're not going away. And Paul says, let them rise. Talk to God about them. He cares for you. You're who he cares about. Let them rise. Let them go. And he says, when you do, you will begin to step in the direction of peace. Go to God. Go to God. Talk to God about what you're feeling right now, tonight. And then he says, And the peace of God. Which surpasses understanding. As it's, it's a peace that Paul sitting in that jail cell. Circumstances that none of us would ever want in our life. Was experiencing. And Paul's writing this letter and he's trying to figure out like, how do I say it? Like this, this incredible peace. No, no matter what you're facing in life, like you can be chained to a Roman guard, which Paul would have been as he was writing. He's like, when you begin to do this, you experience a peace that, yeah, man, it's, it's amazing peace. No, it's incredible peace. No, it's great peace. No, it's like, I can't even explain it, peace. It's peace of God comes into your heart and your life. And he says, it guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word guard just means like, it's like, uh, it was a military term. City of Philippi, where this letter was written, was a military outpost. It'd be like Fort Bend, where they had a fort stationed there. They knew what it was like to have guards, people on guard, protecting something. And Paul says, just like those guards outside of the city wall that protect you guys in Philippi, that's where the peace of God will begin to do in your heart in your life, that no matter what you're facing, what you're walking through, what you're experiencing, it's protecting you. You're experiencing it. Not because life is perfect and looks amazing all the time. No, 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 no. Because no matter what you're facing on the outside, you're okay on the inside. Because when you're anxious, you're bringing those things to God. And because you know who your heavenly 
Father is. Which brings us to the fourth point. So it's communicate your fears to God. Ask God for help. Let your requests rise. Like let them, tell him what you want. Tell him your desires, your requests. And then finally, meditate on who your God is. Meditate on who God is. Because that's the answer, ultimately, to how you and I can experience peace that he's talking about. Like it's like, Paul, wait a second. You're just saying to pray. And if I pray, then I'll experience the peace of God. Because I've prayed before and I don't feel like I experienced the peace of God. Like how can I experience that type of peace? And Paul would say, as you grow in your relationship with God, here's what you're going to begin to realize. As the more and more that you know who your heavenly father is, the more you focus on, hey, my God is for me. He loves me. He cares about what I care about because I'm what he cares about. My God loves me and he's in control, which means I can bring him my requests and I can say, God, here's everything that I want. Here's everything I'm afraid of. Here's everything I'm feeling. Here's everything I'm walking through. And I can leave those with you, God. And the ones that you give me, awesome. The ones that you don't, it's not because you don't care about me. It's not because you're not capable. You can answer those things. It's because you know something I don't know. Every time that you bring those requests to God and he doesn't answer them the way that you wanted him to, Paul would say, you can trust him. He loves you. He gave his life for you. So anytime you bring those requests and he doesn't give you exactly what you want, it's not because he doesn't care. He already showed how much he cares. It's not because he couldn't or he's incapable. He's capable. He's God. It's because he knows something you don't know and you can trust him. And as we do, we meditate on like, God loves me. He's in control. He's in control over whether or not my, you know, boss is gonna like the presentation. Like, God, you control people's hearts. I'm anxious right now. I'm asking for your help that it would go amazing. But if it doesn't, you have something better for me. And I trust you. You're at work in the midst of this. You know something I don't know. If I bomb the presentation, despite how hard I worked, if I don't meet the quota that I'm supposed to end up meeting here and I'm asking you, God, would you help me? I've worked so hard to get this and I'm asking for your help. But if you don't do it, it's not because you don't care. It's because you know something I don't know. So I'm trusting you. I'm asking this relationship to work out because we've been back and forth and it feels like it's on shaky ground and I thought we were gonna get engaged and now we're not even close to getting engaged and I'm not even sure I could keep dating them. God, would you please help us to make it work? And I leave that there with you. If you don't answer it, or if you answer in the way that I don't want it to, if we break up. It's not because you don't care. It's because you know something I don't know. And I trust you. And I'm gonna choose to trust you. And Paul says, when you do that, you'll experience peace. When you leave those things with him and you decide you love me, you're in control. If I ask you something, it doesn't happen. You know something I don't. I trust you. He says, you're going to experience peace. I, I talked about the registry. Said just how awesome it is to have, you know, the ability to do one of those. But if you are engaged, uh, here's something you should probably know is headed your way. Uh, you're going to fill out that registry. And you're going to send it out to all your family and friends. And there's going to be someone inevitably, I think there's one in every single family, at least one. And they get that registry from you and they decide, 
yeah, I'm not doing any of these. I'm going off the registry. And this is sometimes the person who's like makes homemade gifts or like sews together an Afghan blanket. You know, that's their gift to you, which if you don't know what an Afghan blanket is, it's like a really itchy blanket that is good for, uh, you know, moving TVs when you move apartments. But uh, they're the person who gives you that or they give you silverware that doesn't match your other silverware. They're like, here's some you know, decorative pictures for inside your apartment. And you're like, these match nothing that we have. These are going you know, into storage or into the attic. They're just someone who goes off the registry and, um, and they do so really, I think, because they're just not great at giving gifts. There could be a lot of reasons why, but they just are not great at giving gifts. And so when it came to giving you what you asked for, it's, you know, because they're a bad gift giver. Is that what God is like? Paul would say no. God is an amazing gift giver. He only gives good, gives good things. In fact, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that exact thing. So what could be happening if God doesn't answer the request or he goes off of my requested registry to him? There's also another type of person who goes off the registry. It's not the person who does so because they're bad at giving gifts. It's the person who does so because they're farther in life than you are. They've been married a little longer than you have. They've had children longer or maybe more than one child. And they just know something that you don't quite know. You don't even know to ask for it. And so they're going to go off the registry to get you something that they're like, look, hey, I'm telling you, you're going to want this. You didn't even ask for it, but I'm getting it for you because I'm farther down. I know something that you don't. This happened in my own life when we had uh, our first son. We got in a, um, when we were pregnant, we had a baby shower. So you do the same thing with babies. Fill out, do a registry, send it to your friends. Like, these are things we want. And we sent it out. And at one of the showers, somebody came up and they'd given us a gift that was off the registry. And they brought us this bassinet. A bassinet is like a little crib that you put by the bed. And, uh, and anyways, they've got us this bassinet and they're like, hey, we got you this. And they're like, it wasn't on your registry, but you're gonna want this. This thing is a life changer. It's a miracle worker, way maker, miracle. No, they basically went through and, uh, and man, guys, come on, man. Somebody having fun in here. And they gave us this bassinet. And at the time we got it and we were like, uh, oh, great. Why didn't you just get us some of the things that we asked for? Put this in the closet. And then six weeks later, when we had our, when our child or son was six weeks old, we were in that stage where it's just like total, you'll do anything to stop the madness. You're like, he, he won't sleep. We're up all hours of the night. Please, please, God, please let him sleep. And you're trying anything. You know, you're, you're, you're rocking him. You're doing warm milk, cold milk, a little Benadryl, whatever you can to get him to sleep. And in that time, we were like, oh, man, we're going to get that bassinet. We pulled it out. We're desperate. We'll try anything. Put him in the bassinet, put him down. And he went right to sleep. It was like, this is a game changer. I cannot believe that we've gone even the last six weeks without having used this thing. This thing that I didn't even know to ask for. But for whatever reason, they, they, they were right. I filled it out. I wouldn't even put that on my request of things I would want. But it's because I didn't know every, I didn't know what I didn't know. And because they were further down the road, they did know, hey, you don't even know to ask for this, but you're going to want this. That's the description that Paul would say in the Bible presents of God. That over and over, he gives us the things that, man, if we were him, if we knew everything that he knows, we would ask and pray and make requests like the ones he's gonna give us. In fact, Tim Keller is a well-known pastor who says this. He says, God will either give you everything or give us everything we ask for in prayer. Or he gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything 
God knows. When he goes off the registry, he doesn't give a request. It's not because he doesn't care. It's because there's something he knows that we or you don't. And Paul says, you can trust him. Bring those requests. And then know, as you know more and more of who God is, you can trust him. He loves you. He's in control. I said, in conclusion, Paul invites us to experience calm and chaos that we communicate our fears to God. We ask God for help. We let God know the things that we want. And then we meditate on who our God is. And when you do, in the midst of chaos, Paul would say, you'll experience calm. That'll mark your life, guard your heart, guard your mind, and step you in the direction of peace. Whatever you're walking through right now, and I know there's so many different things. There are thousands of people who tune in every single week, who download the podcast, who are listening from every state in the country and all over the world. And what you're walking through is terrifying, it feels chaotic, and God is inviting you to talk to him. If it's important enough to worry about, it's important enough to pray about, will you go to him in prayer? Tell him what you're feeling. Tell him what you're facing. Ask him to move. Ask him to help you experience peace right now. And know you have a good, loving, heavenly father who cares for you, who's in control, and has invited you to go to him. If you're not someone who has ever put your trust in Jesus, here's the final thing I would say to really everybody, but particularly you. What you need to know is that experiencing peace beyond understanding or surpassing understanding is not something you're going to experience in this life or the next because you've never trusted in Jesus. You don't have a relationship with God because the only way you can have a relationship with God, the only way you can be forgiven is not by being a good person. It's not by listening to porch messages. It's not by going to church. It's by putting your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. It's by trusting. That's what putting your faith means. It means I'm trusting not in how good of a person I live or how good of a life I live, how good of a person I am. I'm trusting in what Jesus did on the cross. When he died, he died for me. On that cross, he paid for my sin. He paid for everything that wrong I've ever done. Every sexual sin, he paid for that abortion. He paid for every time that you've acted in a way that doesn't align with God's word. He paid for every time that you've had homosexual sin mark your life. For every time you've drank too much, every time that you have dishonored him with your words, every relationship that you messed up, every person whose heart you took advantage, all of it was paid for, all of it. And he said, anyone who will accept, not that they're good enough to earn a relationship with God. That's what, you know, know, I try to live a good life. You're saying I could be good enough to earn a relationship with God. Anyone who says I'm willing to trust, not in what I do, but in what Jesus did, they will experience eternal life. They will have peace with God. And those are the ones that can have calm in the midst of chaos around them in this life, And in the next, and tonight is your night and God extends to you where you just acknowledge, I'm a sinner. God, I'm unworthy of a relationship with you. I accept what you did for me by sending your son Jesus as a payment for my sin. And only by that I'm forgiven and I have eternal life and I wanna walk with you and live for you for the rest of my days. Amen. You do that and your life will be marked by more peace. And that's the first step you should take. But for all of us, God says, you can experience calm in the chaos if you communicate whatever you're afraid of. Ask me for help. Let me know what you want. Tell him your request and then know your father loves you. He's good. He's in control. 
And if he doesn't do things the way you thought he should, it's just because he knows something you don't. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who's made clear you care for us. That no one can actually believe that based on what you did by sending your son. You care so much for us that you gave your own life. And so tonight, anyone who's never put their faith in what you did on the cross, would you penetrate and do what only you can do? Penetrate their heart. With the rest of us who have done that, would we experience the therapeutic life or experience of calling out to you, communicating you in prayer. When we find ourselves anxious, would we turn to you, give you our requests, and would you help us to be marked by a supernatural peace? We love you. In Christ's name, amen.